Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are taking a look at Promising Young Woman, the new Carrie Mulligan thriller that went to theaters last week and made like uh, under a million dollars. Uh, it's yeah. actually not that bad. And I want to talk about what works in it and what doesn't. We're also going to talk about Wonder... No, not Wonder Woman 1984. That's our first news story. Damn it. Andy, I'm not restarting. I'm just going with it. We're talking about <laughs> okay. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on Netflix. A new film starring Vi- Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman in his last role. That is certainly something worth talking about. We're going to talk about our top tens of the year. That's really what I should have opened with. That's much more exciting than the two films we watched (laughs) uh, because 2020 was a heck of a ride and we've got some weird picks for what was the best and what was the worst. And of course, we're going to talk about the news, which is where we should start first. First story on the docket. Wonder Woman uh, 1984 slips to $5.5 million in its second weekend and nears uh, a muted $120 million globally. What is this? Hold on. Andy, what does this mean? Oof. Well, it means it means that it's slipping a lot. Uh, for context, Tenet also slipped to about five point five, about five million in its second weekend as well. But it just went from ten million to five million. This is going from sixteen to five. So it's a really pretty big drop, which shows that it Wonder Woman is not having any kind of staying power in the theaters, which isn't surprising. I mean, the the pandemic is still raging. Theaters aren't super safe, but maybe that means that more people are are watching at home. So it's opening weekend. It made something like 17 million here in the States. And then it made a bunch more money overseas. Um, A lot of people were worried about how it was going to do with it premiering on HBO Max as well, right? Like, how's it going to do in theaters since it's also available at home? And at first it seemed like it wasn't too bad. Like considering the pandemic and how many theaters are closed, 16 million in the States is not too shabby. But it's a pretty big drop-off from that week to this week, right? And I think it might have people at Warner Brothers and HBO Max wondering if maybe it was such a good idea to launch it at home. What do you think? I mean, I, I think launching at home is probably the the better idea. I mean, those numbers may have been better, the the initial weekend's numbers, uh, but it, it you know certainly wouldn't have been safe. And I think more more people probably are seeing it because... Uh, it's available at home, and and again, it's hard to measure the success of at home viewing because uh, you don't really know the nu- the numbers. But ideally, that's translating into subscriptions. And uh, in in our next news stories, we'll talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Uh, overall, I don't think I'm like shocked. Right. There's there's a couple of things Wonder Woman has going against it in its second week uh, because it opened so tremendously in its first. Right. It was the first big blockbuster coming out to theaters since like Tenet. Uh, it obviously had a lot of buzz around it. They've been marketing it since March. Um, I think everybody was looking forward to something to go watch on Christmas Day because Christmas Day is the most popular day at the movies. Um, you know, it, it was an exciting thing. But now Christmas is over and we're getting into 2021 and it turns out like not all that glitters is gold. I personally watched it at home. I loved watching it at home. It's a bummer to hear it's not doing so great uh, domestically, but I think what's more surprising is how it's doing internationally, right? Like international audiences who may have better, safer access to movie theaters are uh, are not 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 drinking the Kool Aid. They're going to see other stuff. Um, well, unfortunately, that that the kind of the theater area region that's doing doing the best right now kind of is China, and. Uh, but they're not really into superhero movies as they see them as kind of American propaganda films. So that, that they don't really go over well over there. And then other places that would see it thing, places like, you know, maybe Australia or the UK are going into 
uh, new lockdowns. So the places that normally would be good globally just aren't open. Yeah. Well, it is what it is, I guess. I'm mean, looking at this image. I could see why they think it's maybe American propaganda. It's very eighties movie. It's, it's, it's very robust, like American superheroes. So I kind of get that, but our next story, one woman, 1984 shows promise for HBO max flying in the face of what I said. in the first news story, <laughs> uh, apparently audience surveys find that people like watching this stuff at home. Right. Is that, is that, is that what I'm getting out of this? Yes. Uh, again, we don't have solid numbers, uh, but we did have a, there was a research firm that, that uh, did a lot of surveys and polls and asked people what they were, um, kind of watching and, and it shows that a lot of people are, are, did watch it and are sticking with the subscription. Um, I, but if you can look for the specific numbers in the story, but, um, there are certain percentages that some people are just getting the service for a month. Some people are getting it and sticking with it. So it is attracting subscribers. Yeah. A, a data, uh, um, management i guess collection company called screen engine did a survey and they said 23 uh, percent of those viewing wonder woman 1984 signed up for hbo max just to watch the movie over the weekend like they, they hadn't used it before they were just signing up to get into it 23 percent of those that watched it that's what they're doing so one out of four it's pretty good and then among that group 14 percent said they'll continue to subscribe and nine percent said they're likely to cancel soon shout out to the nine percent who like think they're working one over on HBO by giving them your email. Like they're going to dude, they're going to send you stuff forever. You're, you'll never truly break away, but <laughs> I, I respect the hustle. You're getting one over on capitalism. Good for you. I don't think I'm super surprised by the fall off, like one in 10 saying fundamentally, right. That they, they're going to cancel after watching one woman in 1984. Didn't really make them stick around. That's not bad. That's, that's nine people that are continuing to use your service, whether they were subscribed before or after, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 come out came out. I, I'm a little surprised one out of four are jumping on for the first time to watch Wonder Woman 1984. Like HBO Max is a great service. It might be my favorite of the streaming services right now. But um, what do you think, Andy? Is this a, is this a shock to you? No, I mean it, it's a good it's a good indicator that you know it's doing what it was intended. And I think they whenever they announced it was be on HBO Max, I think they had they must have had a surge in uh, people sign up for the service. Um, which I think like that's what's driving all of this. And that's so it's working as in intended. People are signing up for the service, they're sticking with it at least for a while. The kind of the big issue is that HBO is gonna really need to crank out content in the interim, and kind of the only big thing on the horizon would be Zack Snyder's uh Justice League series thing, which is another three months away. Mm. Some other interesting data out of this. Um nineteen percent of viewers said had it not been for Wonder Woman 84, they probably would have canceled their subscription soon or recently. So they specifically stuck around for it. I don't know if that's completely accurate. That's more opinion-based than everything else. But I did think it's interesting that out of everything that's been released straight to video on demand, uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is the best. Wonder Woman 1984 found the most viewership out of straight to video on demand films this year um which is good you know that's that's not that's not nothing to scoff at you literally got the highest score congratulations warner brothers you did it you got the most people to watch your thing right when it came out i think you're right they're gonna have to figure out something to do in the interim obviously they've got a lot going on in 2021 they've announced all of their feature films all 17 are going to be going straight to uh, HBO Max same day as theatrical releases but for what it's worth I, I'll be interested to see if they can keep it up, right? Like, do you keep that buzz going? I have no doubt in my mind films like The Matrix 4 are going to get 
the viewership it needs. Dune is going to get the viewership it needs, but the smaller stuff, right? Like that's, that's where we're going to get in the weeds. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll see if this big gamble pays off for Warner Brothers, right? Yep, absolutely. Mm. And I, I, I think it, I, it's a good strategy and it, it's, again, it's really upsetting. It's disrupting the, the theatrical model, you know, you, and it showed that it was successful. Like people, there were success on both fronts. A lot of people went to see it opening weekend and a lot of people signed up for the, the service. So, you know, you're giving people choice. If you don't want to sign up for the service, then you can just, you know, watch the one-off. Mm-hmm. One other interesting fact here before we move on to our next story. Uh, viewership for one woman in 1984 was highest among males over 35. Hmm? Dude, dude bros watching Wonder Woman. So for what it's worth, all the guys who don't think women can be superheroes, you're turning out for it. You're, buy, well, you're buying virtual tickets. The funny thing is that, you know, I, I think Hollywood uh, or the thinking is that, oh, we'll make a female superhero to attract female filmgoers. Um, but it kind of just, it really attracts more more dudes. Um, I think but mostly because it's mostly guys that are into comic book stuff, you know, regardless of, of gender. They just like, like superhero stuff. So that's, it's not really surprising in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's also worth mentioning. Like, I feel like there's a better, there's a better chance that on Christmas day, dudes over 35 have nothing going on and nothing better to do for two and a half hours. And watch hey now, a book movie. Hey now. <laughs> I'm just saying, I made the time. You made the time. Like, I don't know a lot of women that were like Christmas day. I have three hours to watch a movie. Like most of them were busy. Most of them had plans. Um, at least in my small sphere of influence. So, you know, keep it here on Offscript for more. Our last story, and I'm going to be honest, this is really just an opportunity for me to rail against Apple. Uh, Wolfwalkers leads the pack in this year's animated Oscar film race. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, Wolfwalkers is from the same studio that made The Secret of Kells. Uh, it is a wonderful animated film, very stylized, about uh, a... a I guess a, an old myth or a legend about a young Irish woman who is able to talk and walk and do things with wolves. I'll play the trailer here. I don't think you guys can hear it. It's an Apple original movie. Um, Andy, have you have you heard anything about this movie? Have you seen anything about it? No, I've, I've heard about it. I know that it made uh, Mark Kermode's top, top 10 list. Um, I have seen uh, The Secret of Kells. Uh, which is another kind of Celtic uh, legend brought to life through animation. And that that's an excellent film. And it's a very unique uh, animated style, um, you know, where something like Pixar has come to dominate uh, the awards and everyone knows their style. It's nice to see something that's really different. Yeah, I, and I agree. I, I think it looks really tremendous. I saw Secret of Kells. I saw Song of the Sea. I think we own both of them on Blu-ray because Christine's a big fan. What's got me frustrated about this is it's on Apple TV Plus, which is not where anybody is watching things. Um, you know, I, I complained about this when, when Sofia Coppola put out her most recent film over there. I complained about this. When, what was the name of that movie, by the way, Andy? I should know that. On the Rocks. On the Rocks, yeah, starring uh, Bill Murray and I don't remember her name. Rashida Jones. Rashida Jones. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> I complained about this when Sofia Coppola's new film on the rocks came out on Apple TV plus complained about this when Tom Hanks's new film Greyhound came out on Apple TV plus I complained about this when Charlie Brown Christmas and 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 it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown got bought by Apple TV plus I'm glad Apple TV plus is finding content for their platform I'm mad because I have no way to watch it the only way to watch this stuff as far as I know is you have to have an Apple device right I think um well 
yeah, you you do have to have an Apple device, and you have I to think... d- you have to kind of sign it. You have to sign up for the app. It's like five or six dollars a month for Apple TV Plus. Yeah, I think they're working on getting apps to like Xbox and PlayStation for those of you that own a console. But like, if you own a Roku device or an Amazon Fire Stick or like a Google a Google Chrome uh, Chrome TV, yeah, TV, yeah, or or you're on a console that doesn't have one of these apps, you have no way to watch these films unless it's on your phone or your MacBook. Or your iPad, or your Apple TV, which is like $180 plus. Dude, I'm over this device-locking garbage stuff. I don't think Apple is very good at building a content platform when they demand the content be on their hardware, right? That's a problem. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing right now. Like, if I want to watch Netflix, I can watch Netflix on on any any device, on, right. on my phone, on my computers, on the Xbox, on the TV itself. You can't do that with like any of these Apple. Like, I would have to download the app to my computer and then like hook my computer up to my TV. Yeah. And like Netflix used to have this problem because they used to have to mail DVDs. They had to use the postal service to move things around. They had to convince people that that would be a logical method of like delivery of content. They had to, they had to specifically use physical media and they still do that a little, but for the most part, they've pivoted to putting themselves out there on as many platforms as possible. I can't watch Wolfwalkers without sinking a significant amount of money and or physical investment in my ability to watch the movie. Like, dude, (laughs) I'm just mad. I want to see this movie. I would like to watch it. I don't have a good way to do it. The other thing is it, it, to me, uh, Apple TV plus the, the opposite happens when I see like, you know, Wonder Woman got people to sign up for HBO. When I see that something's like an Apple TV plus exclusive, um, I just stop it. Like if it's a trailer, I just stop it. Like yeah. I don't even. It. it makes me like no. Oh, I guess I'm just not watching that. Like that's right. it does like, not attract me to the service at all. No, like it's it's really something else. Like I know HBO Max has had their like fair share of marketing problems and getting their platform like up and running properly after HBO Go and HBO Now. But like Apple is putting them to shame. Nobody is talking about Apple TV Plus. Nobody wants Apple TV Plus. Like and and they're buying. Kind of cool movies every once in a while, right? Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Like, they, they, they stumble onto good features that I can't see from my cool movie podcast. And it makes me mad. So that's it. This isn't really a news story. It's just me complaining. <laughs> I just wanted to... We're not doing Death of Cinema this week. We're doing Top 10s. I had to get in here and swing <laughs> on Apple TV. I will continue to do so while they continue to find and purchase films that I can't watch. So that's it. That's my piece. Andy, you ready to talk about uh, Promising Young Woman? I, I am. Great. Please take it away. Promising Young Woman. I thought we had a connection. Okay. How old am I? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. Uh, so this is a new kind of psychological revenge thriller starring uh, Carrie Mulligan. Um, before we get get started, uh, content warning this is a very serious subject matter. The Big movie time. deals with uh, sexual assault um, and kind of attitudes surrounding that. It is, for some reason, been mislabeled, in my opinion, as a dark comedy. Um, it is not a comedy by any stretch of the imagination. There are some funny bits. Bo Burnham, the comedian, is in it. He does kind of tell some jokes, but it is not a comedy. It was strangely added, I guess, to the Golden Globe category under comedy slash musical, which is really disturbing. Um, <laughs> yeah, you would, you would say this is a thriller, right? Yeah, I would say, yeah, yeah it, it's a it's a thrill, it thriller, and there are some 
comedic moments there are some lighthearted moments but it's sure. not it's an incredibly serious subject matter um anyways moving on so these the story involves uh cassandra cassie played by carrie mulligan who was once a promising young woman uh we find out that she was in medical school and dropped out several years before for kind of mysterious reasons uh, that were not told initially um we find her her at home uh, living with her parents she's i guess 30 at this point um she kind of sleeps all day she works at a coffee shop uh, and and you know that that she's you know having gotten into medical school that she's a brilliant person and could probably do any kind of career but she's kind of stuck in this rut um and part of what what she does is she spends her times is she will go out to a club we see this in the opening scene she go out to a club and appear to be kind of falling down drunk and wait for a quote-unquote nice guy to come up and kind of uh, give her some assistance. And uh, what inevitably happens is someone will, you know, say, hey, do you need do you need some help? Do you need a, a cab or something? And what starts out as kind of a nice, friendly encounter seems to always end in uh, an attempted date rape, where then she, d- she then reveals that she is not drunk at all, and she's stone-cold sober, and she's just caught them kind of attempting uh, date rape. And she uses this as kind of a, a petty revenge to, I guess, it's a little unclear, uh, but she kind of scares men that I know what you're doing, I know what you're trying to do, I just caught you red-handed uh, kind of situation. Um, so that's kind of kind of our setup. And the, the kind of major plot of the film is she begins to kind of go back uh, to the uh, events that, that took place at the... Um, why she dropped out of, out of school and begins to confront people involved in the uh, the incidents. So that's our story. That's that's a, it's a it's a lot to take on, um, heavy subject matter. But uh, we're going to get into it. So Zach, what did you think? Okay, so you definitely cannot understate the heavy subject matter. This is an R-rated film, and for like the first act, I was like, why exactly is this R-rated? And it, it definitely becomes clear as, as the movie goes on. Um, heavy subject matter. Trigger warnings all around. Like, this this movie's controversial. And as I walked out of the theater and hopped on my phone to Google it to see what other people thought, I found, ooh, yeah, there's definitely a lot of controversy. So... The, these opinions are, are the hottest of takes right here on Off Script for you. I did not like this movie. Um, <laughs> okay. And I feel like I have to put a disclaimer on that because I respect, I think, what it's trying to say. I think it does a poor job of saying it. I think this film is trying to walk this line between art house satire of a very serious subject and genuine dark comedy thriller about a serious subject it can't really decide what it wants to be it can't decide if this is supposed to be like a unique perspective through a black comedy lens or like a genuine honest like american thriller um and that's where i think the problems come from it's got some strengths it's got some weaknesses it has some really good performances um Mm -hmm. but it has an odd script (laughs) that i think leads to a perplexing ending that I've been turning over in my head since we won't really talk about it, but, uh, Andy, what, what, where do we start talking about promising young woman? Um, well, let, let's, well, for one thing, let's, let's talk about the good. And, uh, one, one of the things that, that I think uh, the Phil ex- excels is that it doesn't shy away. And our main character, Cassandra doesn't shy away 
from this real tough subject matter. You know, she it's very much about not just con- confronting sexual assault, but also the the attitudes surrounding it. You know, like she goes and, and talks to people about a certain incident and there, you know, there's all these kind of attitudes, these things that you've heard a million times of like, oh, well, she was she was asking for it or she was dressed a certain way or she, you know, she has a certain reputation. It's these kind of grotesque attitudes that, that we've all kind of pr- probably heard before. And, and she's very much... Um, confronting them and make you know she's making people very uncomfortable and she's being very direct um and so i think i think the movie is it's good to kind of bring up these things because it's kind of condemning these attitudes the other thing it's it's kind of uh it's bringing up this this idea of the of the nice guy the guy because you know at the at the beginning there's basically three guys at the bar and they're watching her stumble around drunk and two of them are real douchebaggy and they're they're definitely of the uh, like you know well you're kind of asking for it um but then adam bro uh, character played by adam brody he's the one that goes over to him and he's like hey guys let's cut it out and he seems like he's 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 a good guy and he goes over do you need help do you know call you a cab but then inevitably they end up back at his his apartment and so we kind of see that character brought up several times in the in the film of of these quote-unquote nice guys trying to help someone who's uh um essentially vulnerable and they're not really trying trying to help they're trying to weasel their their way into bed with them mm-hmm. um i think that's part of the reason we get a lot of like attributions for this being a dark comedy almost all of the male characters in this film are traditionally comic actors um adam brody max greenfield bo burnham there, there's a handful of others uh, basically all of all of the dudes she is she is meeting and and engaging with in this film are traditionally like comic actors and and the guys in this movie i think are very um like hyper stylized like their performances are are at times very masculine very macho very 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 gauche very 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 like modern douchebag very creepy very cringy and ultimately like very sad and and very petty and very small um and each one of these characters, most of them at least, have to overcome all of those arcs like as they're dealing with our lead, Cassie, played brilliantly by Carrie Mulligan. Uh, when they first meet her in the bar and she's acting very drunk or inebriated, they're very like, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm macho man, like good guy, uh, chivalry. Let's, let's take you home, make sure you're okay. And then they get halfway back to the apartment and then it's like, hey why don't you come by my place real quick for a drink? And it's like creepy. Then they get them. Then they get her back to her place, the, to, to his place. And it's like, okay, now it's weird. And they're trying to put moves on her and it's gross. And I'm like cringing in my seat. I can't stand it. Then the turn comes. And it turns out she's, she's pulled a trick on them. She's cheated them and they didn't even know it. And suddenly they're afraid and scared. And ultimately they're like petty and small and like, please don't hurt me. And this could ruin my reputation. And like, that happens a few times in the movie, and I think that's why it gets branded as a comedy, because that's kind of funny in a way, but it's also, like, super serious, dude, and, like, really uncomfortable. It's it's the most uncomfortable I felt in a movie theater in, like... Uh, well, I, I, a I long think... time. And, like, I think, I think I'm uncomfortable for the right reasons, um, but I'm not, I'm not really sure what... why I'm supposed to feel uncomfortable. I don't know what the movie's trying to say, I guess. Well, yeah, I think that, you know, th- like this is like her kind of petty revenge before she kind of goes on a mission of larger revenge. Yes. Um, but I don't really know what, what the 
what we're supposed to kind of get out of those little incidents. Cause she does this to like a, a couple of guys, you know, fakes being drunk and then ha ha, I caught you, you know, trying, trying to get handsy or whatever. Um, but then like, it's just kind of an awkward moment and they try to get her to leave, but it doesn't really, um, you know, I thought there were to get, there was going to be like some sort of extortion angle. Like she was like extorting them, uh, you know, for, for money. Like I just caught you red handed, give me a thousand dollars or something, you know, um, and th- that doesn't happen. It's just kind of like attempting to teach them a lesson or something, but it's, it's, a, it's a weird kind of re- revenge. That's not really, I don't like, I don't really know what her, what, what she's trying to get across, uh, to the guys and and again it's something that that appears to be comedic and it's what it really shouldn't be again not like uh by the way i did try to get a couple of women uh on the show because i definitely yeah. want some so it's female. worth mentioning we did we did want a woman <laughs> to voice this stuff and we, we will still like this movie isn't yeah. available to rent yet at home when, once it is I've, I've asked some friends to watch it and review it and give some thoughts um because last thing we need are two dudes talking about uh sexual assault so we yeah. will have some female opinions um, probably ne- next episode. Yes, please. <laughs> Send us your um, correspondence at Oscar Film Review. We'll read it on there. Go, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I think <laughs> not to not to misinterpret what's happening here because I, I want to make sure I cover my bases and Andy's bases before we talk ourselves into a hole. Like the reason you're uncomfortable in these scenes, right, where she's she's essentially being accosted by a man who knows exactly what he's doing is because you know how terrible it is. It's not because of what she's going to do to them. That's actually kind of satisfying. You feel a little like, uh, you know, you're like a supervillain tw- twirling your mustache, watching her like get one over on these absolute creeps. I totally get that. Like, and these guys totally deserve it because they're terrible. They probably deserve worse. And that's definitely not shied away from in the second and third act of these films, because ultimately what she's doing is building towards something larger. She's trying to seek revenge uh, for a friend, something that happened back in college when she was in med school, the reason she dropped out, the reason her whole life has been changed is because of something that happened to a friend. And she is going back systematically and picking and choosing the players in that larger situation one by one and and extracting revenge on them and that's pretty satisfying but it also doesn't come without its share of challenges for the character she commits like a litany of crimes to make (laughs) this happen and like that doesn't necessarily justify what she's doing like she's doing it for i think the right reasons but she's going about it totally the wrong way um it's like vigilante justice but in, in, in like a weird inverse format that was confusing to watch. Like she'll commit it. She'll, she'll just commit a crime and walk away from that situation. It's like, well, hold on. Like that's obviously, obviously what she did to that person, they mostly deserved it, but she doesn't deserve the punishment that comes from it. Cause she shouldn't have done it. But yeah, that it's way. not, but it's not okay for her to no, go about it this way. Right. It's, it's this eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind kind of thing. And that's kind of just the tone of a lot of the film. And that's confusing, right? Like if we're trying to find some kind of justice, some kind of catharsis for these terrible situations, it doesn't work out great when at the end of the day, you can't look at either character and think, well, both of them were, were, well, you can't think one of them was right and one of them was wrong. They both seem kind of, kind of bad in their own way, I think. I also, I also feel like it's like, like basically, you know, she, she interviews or she goes and kind of meets old, old acquaintances or people involved, uh, at the school, at med school she was at, um, and then kind of exact some kind of serious and slash petty revenge, but it doesn't, um, like you said, it's borderline illegal, if not fully illegal. And it's, it's just not, 
I, like, I don't know what we're supposed to, we as the audience are supposed to get out of it. And I don't know the person that she's committing the revenge on is really supposed to get out. Cause there seems a whole lot of like, well, I'm going to teach you about the horrors of sexual assault firsthand. Yeah. Um, and it's, I, I don't know. It, it's, it's somewhere it's, to me, it's somewhere weird in the middle. Like when I think of, of a revenge film, I think something like kill bill, um, an incredible and i almost feel like it needs to be more to the more to like lean into the revenge like if you're gonna take revenge on someone do it instead of like there's a whole lot of like scaring people that something bad has happened but then something bad hasn't actually happened and it's just i, I don't know like you said it, it's somewhere it's kind of this weird lukewarm middle place yeah and that's what i mean like it couldn't it couldn't land on this spot of whether whether or not it wanted to be like this hyper satirical hyper stylized film or just like a classic thriller story it couldn't it couldn't decide and and that comes across a lot in i think the set decoration and costuming um a lot of the sets in this movie look really tremendous uh our our, our lead character cassie she lives in her parents house she's 30 30 ish i think um lives in her parents house and her parents live in this like very pink house all the walls are pink wallpapers pink she wears a pink bathrobe mom wears pink um and it's old they got this old couch with wood on it and all this old furniture like it's this very like boomer looking like establishment for this mom who is like lived in this this fantasy that like her her daughter is going to be like this wonderful woman and totally isn't that's something that they kind of deal with in the movie uh her coffee shop she works at as like this neon sign on the wall, it's super simple, but it looks very kitschy and indie white paints, lots of like Mason jars and bottles. Like obviously a lot of work went into this stuff. Um, there, you know, that the apartment she goes to with these guys, they all look very unique, a lot of personality. Each guy has an apartment that re- reflects them. One guy's got a rock poster on the wall and the other one's got a dream catcher. Like very interesting. The costuming's reflected the same way. There's a lot of work that went into all that stuff. And the shots are very similar. Looking at the trailer, you can see that I'm running on Facebook live here for us. Uh, a lot of these shots are, are interesting. Lots of wide angles, lots, lots, lots of specific like close-ups and 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 faraway takes, lots of lighting. Like, I think the set decoration, the cinematography, the look of this film is really tremendous. I think the script is where it falls apart because it can't it can't seem to decide whether or not it's like taking this too seriously or not serious enough. And and I think for a subject matter that's this serious, you got to pick a lane, and it doesn't really do that. I don't think. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Like I said, there, it it's a it's very brave in the subject that it's bringing up and the kind of confrontation she has with a lot of people. And she's very cut and dry. Like people will beat around the bush about certain things. And it's like, well, you know, that, that thing that, and she's like, Oh, what thing? Like she, like she makes people like say things that they don't want to say that they're very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, saying with and I, I think there's small moments in here that are done really, really well. The performances are 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 good and about halfway through the film uh cassie she meets um bo burnham's character who is a doctor and and was uh knew her back in med school and they kind of hit it off and have this meet cute and they begin to develop a relationship and she and she kind of grow begins to grow as a person she starts kind of getting out of the house more she, yeah and then things and so these are all good things, but the things I looked at my watch, I was like, there's an hour left of this film and it feels like this is about to be over. So there's a whole, there's, there's a lot more, more coming, um, the, than, than we know. 
so uh, again, the the film it starts seems to be like it's going to be her dealing and processing and moving on for this trauma, but then it kind of just spirals uh, back into it. Yeah, this movie is like an hour and 53 minutes. It's just shy of two hours. And like, it doesn't introduce this like revenge framework, I'm pretty sure, till like 40 minutes into the film. That's like the first time you actually get any indication of like, okay, there is like a plot centrally to what she's doing here. Like she has a plan, you know, before that, it's just kind of fast and loose. And I appreciate the character introductions, but like, it's very oddly structured. And I think that rushes the third act. I think the ending is, like I said, perplexing. Um, and probably worth interpreting yourself. I honestly, I don't, I don't mean for that to sound like, ah, it's got a weird ending. No, like I, I really would like to hear what you think of it because I'm, I'm very bemused uh, by what happens. I was, I was going to say that does bring us to the ending. Um, I, I feel like we are supposed to, as the audience supposed to have a lot of catharsis in what happens, but if you think about it for more than three seconds, it, 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 it's very kind of odd and bizarre kind of the choices that and I don't know if this is based on a on a book or what but I I feel like the ending is kind of problematic for me um but I'm gonna wait until I I need to read some more about this movie and I want to I really want some uh female opinions um before but yeah so this movie I did a little looking into it so this movie's direct written and directed by a woman named Emerald Fennel uh, who has done a lot of, I should say person in Emerald Funnel, uh, has done a lot of um, writing for television, uh, helped write the show Killing Eve. She was an executive producer on it. They were an executive producer on it. I, sh- I should really do my research before I jump into this and start talking about people on, on the yeah, podcast. She, she but was. She has had a lot of success uh, in television writing, has, has worked on a few films. This is her first writing and directorial debut for her own film. Definitely first directorial debut. And what's funny is you would think somebody who's done so much work in writing would have a much tighter script and a much looser direction. This one's kind of the opposite. I actually kind of like the way this was put together. I, I, I like the direction. I like the look of it. There was a lot of this movie I enjoyed. The writing is where it felt clumsy. It felt like she had a lot of great visions of set pieces in her head. Here, here's how Cassie's going to look in the final scene. Here's how Cassie's going to look in this scene. Here's what this guy's going to do to her and be a total creep. Here's what like, like all of that imagery comes through really strong, but what the characters are saying when they're there, that's the stumble. Like that's what doesn't work great. And, and I think because this subject matter is so serious, it has a lot of potential to inflame opinions. It has a lot of potential to make people very impassioned about what's happening here. And I think a lot of folks will rush to its defense because it's so real. And like, I totally hear that. I I, I respect the message of the movie. It's, it's, delivery i think is where it's a little clumsy like that's just me i i don't know and i i feel like i i have to to really explain myself when i say that because this is such a real thing but like when a movie sets out to tackle something this tremendous like it's it's gotta it's gotta you know it's gotta it's gotta have hands it's gotta it's gotta swing big yeah I, this one just I doesn't think, quite get there yeah i i feel like we have a, some kind of confusing mixed messaging uh by the end of it but i, I there are yeah. a lot of good things about it like i said the performances are good i think it has a lot of style like uh, particularly the last sequence has is this great uh, arrangement of Britney Spears toxic uh, played by uh, strings in the background, 100%. which is re- really effective. And there's just a lot of, of style. And like, you know, we have this, this like Carrie Mulligan in this nurse uh, uniform and it's, it's, it's good visually. It's good style. But like I said, with the kind of overall narrative and like character motivation and things like this are a little clumsy and not completely 
well thought out. Yeah. And speaking of clumsy, I hope this review has people still interested in this movie. I really, I really do want to hear what you think. Like email us at mail at Oscar film review, comment on Facebook, get back to us on YouTube, like wherever we're at, please let us know. Like I'm, I'm genuinely interested to hear some discourse about this movie because it has not made much money at all at the U S box office. It is not doing great. It probably should have gone straight to streaming. I think more people would have been talking about it. Um, I want to know what people think about this one. I'm, I'm sure Andy does as well. Um, but that being said, Andy, any other, any other thoughts for recommendations? I think I'm ready. This is a confusing one to recommend. Andy, <laughs> would you recommend Promising Young Woman? I would say save it for streaming. I, I do think it, it's really interesting. I think it has a lot of positives and a lot of good points. And it, it is, you know, br- you know, confronting certain attitudes uh, about sexual assault and uh, people involved in that and, and the kind of the institutions that allow for it to con- continue, um, honestly. Uh, but I think it is kind of misdirected or a little just mix and confusing in, in its overall messaging. Um, so I, but I, I would encourage people to see it so you can kind of get your own opinion and see what you say. But, um, you know, I would wait till uh, you can rent it or see it on a streaming service. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, like we said at the top, a, a very tremendous content warning on this one. Like, it is R-rated for a good reason. Um, it is some tough stuff to watch. I, I, It's been a while since I felt as uncomfortable in my seat as I did here. And, and that was even with knowing the trick. Knowing that she's pulling a fast one on these guys. Like, even still, just the setup is a lot. Um, so, heads up word of the wise and and watch promising young woman when you can in your own space and uh let us know what you think i i really really want to know more about this movie i'm anxious to see what emerald fennel does next carrie mulligan is tremendous in this movie she is very good um real yeah. human being real human being that's right that's promising <laughs> young woman and with that we need to move on to our next category andy i'm so excited to talk about this you ready yes this is go ahead <laughs> well, this is the top tens of 2020. <laughs> I don't have any music. I might, right. I might put in music. We'll see. Right. So, we'll, uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking, Zach and I are both going to be talking about our top 10 list of 2020, which is strange because we didn't have a lot of releases. We had a lot of things straight to streaming, uh, straight. Or, or streaming only, um, and we had to actually had to watch a lot of older older fi- releases this year as well. So we're gonna be talking about our our top tens, some honorable mentions, and uh, some of our worst of the year as well. How can you talk about films in 2020 without talking about how freaking odd this year has been? Um, we have seen some really strange releases. We've seen a ton of films that were supposed to come out this year pushed back. Um, we've seen stuff that went straight to streaming that probably should have been in theaters. We saw things in theaters that probably should have gone straight to streaming. Um, it has been all over the place, but what we've done is put together our top 10 of 2020. These are films that came out in 2020, not films we saw films that came out this year. So it is a proper top 2020, uh, top 10 of 2020 list. I'm excited to jump into it. How do you want to do this, Andy? What do we trade? <laughs> we go in descending order 10 to one, right? Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll kick it off. Um, let me see. Let me see. I'll, I'll do a few of these and maybe we'll, we'll stop. Maybe, maybe so, we'll do, uh, all right, go for it. What you, okay. So I'll start with, uh, my, my, at number 10 is, uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which I really enjoyed. I think I'm maybe the only one. 
Uh, it was a really fun time. I really enjoyed the music. I thought it was a fun superhero film. It does kind of suffer from being too long. From uh, It's kind of con- got a narrative that's a little bit too big and, and global. Um, but overall, it was a lot of fun, and I definitely still want to go see it in the theater. So my top 10 is Wonder Woman 1984. So, Zach, why don't I just ha- hand it off to you? Yeah, all right. Yeah, I'll comment really quick on that, and then I'll bounce back to mine. We'll go back and forth. This will be quick. We'll, we'll move through it fast, I swear. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 was not as much of a hit for me and did not make my top 10. <laughs> I did enjoy the film in a classic comic book movie sense, like a Richard Donner Superman movie. And that way, I think it has a lot of successes. Ultimately, I felt, I felt like the script fell short and wasn't quite for me. You can tune into our review last week to find out our, you know, our full thoughts. Uh, My number 10 was the invisible man, which I did not expect to put on my top 10 this year. I did not actually like this movie a whole lot, but (laughs) there's a lot of stylistic choice. I know there's a lot of stylistic choices in this that really worked. It's, it's directed, directed by Leigh Winnell, the original writer of the original saw film. He directed a couple of those movies as well. Um, and as far as the horror goes, it's kind of tremendous. It takes this original idea of, the, of, of, of Universal's The Invisible Man and turns it on its head, makes a story about domestic abuse and a woman who's trying to escape a man who is simply inescapable. Um, I really have been thinking about this movie since we saw it, putting this list together. I kind of couldn't shake it and I had to put it on there. What'd you think, Andy? Um, I, this was the last movie that we saw, b- before like the, um, the lockdowns and quarantine, uh, happened. And I remember being in like a half full theater and there was like a lot of coughing going on and I was like a little nervous. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but no, it, it, this was a successful little horror film. It, it kicked off the, it's essentially going to kick off the, um, the horror universe that universal tried so hard to get off the ground and uh, Blumhouse is going to take over and, but just doing it much smaller scale. Um, but I thought it was very good and it, you know, it became a kind of an allegory for uh, domestic abuse, a uh, great performance by, Oh, I can't remember her name now. Elizabeth Moss. I'll look at it. Elizabeth Moss. Yes. She was, she was tremendous. Good, good Lord. We got to get better at this stuff. What was your number nine, Andy? Uh, mine was Mank. The, uh, the, the, story about Herman J. Mankiewicz, the writer of Citizen Kane, uh, streaming on Netflix. Black and white film, Gary Oldman, great performances, a lot of style. Um, it, it kind of, again, the, the messaging or the overall kind of themes of the film are a little unclear, but I thought it was really good to good filmmaking. Yeah, I enjoyed Mank a lot as well. Uh, David Fincher is my favorite director. This was his first film, first proper film in six years. The script was written by his late father. It's been a passion project he's wanted to make since the late 90s. I'm excited he finally gets to do it. And thanks to Netflix, it was possible. Gary Oldman's tremendous. I really enjoyed Charles Dance. Even Amanda Seyfried's a lot of fun in this movie. And I think this black and white picture is genuinely good. But it's not perfect, and certainly not for everybody. It's something I'm going to have to rewatch, and it is on my list a little later, uh, so I'll talk about that. Well, I won't talk about that. These are my thoughts on Mank. Anyway, you can hear our full review, along with all of these we've reviewed this year, so you can go back and check out our catalog to hear more about those. My number nine was Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things, a surreal picture based on a book, uh, Charlie Kaufman's first directorial debut, a movie that... Honestly, I didn't like that much as far as the setting goes. <laughs> like this, is 20, top 10. this is 2020, man. This is the way like. it goes. Yeah, like the top. Hey, man, it is what it is. Uh, I enjoyed the way this film was shot. I enjoyed the performances, but it is a mind bender of a movie that I haven't been able to stop thinking about since, which is why it's on my list. I promise I will start liking the movies that are on here. Andy, what would you think of I'm Thinking of Ending Things? 
it did not make my top 10. It's on one of my other lists that I'm not going to spoil this yet. I did not it's like okay. this movie. Um, yeah. I thought it was way too long, way too self-indulgent. There are two 20-minute discussions uh, or conversations that happen in a car. It's 45 minutes of two people talking in a car. Um, super over and indulgent. And, and apparently it's nothing like the the original novel as well. Like it's just Charlie Coffin's just gone off the rails and done his own thing completely unrestricted. Yeah, that's classic Kaufman. What was your number eight? Trial of the Chicago Seven, uh, which was about the uh, the trial of the <laughs> the Chicago Seven yeah. uh, at the nineteen sixty eight Democratic National Convention. There were riots. There was uh, out of things out of control, and uh, these people got put on trial. This is um, I cannot remember who directed this. Now uh, was it Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin written and directed. Yeah. Uh, is it, this was a courtroom drama. A lot of really good performances. It's a little long, but there are some. They recreate some of these these riots that happened in in Chicago. Um, re- really kind of big set pieces, um, and some you know kind of profound messaging of you know because the these seven people on trial all kind of have different motives, but they're all kind of fi- fighting for the same cause. But the way they go about it's very different. Yeah, I, I enjoyed Trial of the Chicago 7 a lot. It is not on my list. Uh, it does not also turn up on on like my worst of the year or anything. It's right in the middle. This movie, honestly, was a contender for my top 10. But, uh, you know, it's, it's there's only 10 on the list. you got to knock some things out. And I enjoyed it a lot. It, it's, it's a great uh, character showcase. A lot of great acting and, and actors and actresses in this film. Aaron Sorkin is one of my favorite screenwriters he's tremendous and i really enjoyed his direction in here it's it's good to see him get comfortable in the courtroom again you know he he wrote for the west wing he wrote a few good men obviously he's no stranger to the courtroom drama and it shows i think he's able to spin a lot of plays and juggle a lot of characters but also tell a compelling story it's on netflix it's easy to watch i would highly recommend trial of chicago 7 uh where are we at now my number eight that's hey, we gotta works. go we gotta get through these faster okay tell you what uh let me rat- let me rattle off my next three i'll offer some quick opinions you rattle off your next three and then we'll jump to your number five how about that that sounds yeah? good all right my my number eight was class action park the hbo documentary about uh action park the 80s uh, uh amusement park that had a whole lot of safety issues my number seven was bad education the hbo film starring Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney as two educators that have uh, maybe not have the best interests in mind of the student body uh, at their their Rhode Island prestigious public school. And number six was Sound of Metal. Uh, this Riz Ahmed feature about a metal drummer going deaf was compelling, at least to me. Uh, maybe hit a little too close to home for somebody who's got a couple of hearing issues of their own. I know Andy enjoyed it more, um, and we may see it in his list as well. Andy, hit me with your next like three. Let's just do it. All right. Uh, number seven is Soul uh, th- from last week, uh, D- Disney Pixar's uh, latest animated film. Excellent uh, music and incredible animation. Uh, messaging that's a little bit more mature than, than uh, for the, like the kids will kind of maybe not get it, but it's definitely uh, aimed at adults in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, at, at number six, uh, Emma, full stop, period. Uh, I forgot that. Um, Emma, the the retelling of uh, Jane Austen's Jane uh, Austen, novel yeah, about Emma Woodhouse and kind of the, the these rich, wealthy uh, people in Victorian England and kind of drama that ensuing. It's done very well. Uh, Anya Taylor Joy plays the the titular character, uh, along with Mia, Mia Goth, and um, it, it's done really well. And I'm not a fan of like the Jane Austen period pieces at all. Like I've never seen a Pride and Prejudice. I haven't seen the other Emma, but I really enjoy this. I thought it was done real well. Um, good costumes, good um, 
performances and all that. And my number five, which we've already talked about, Bad Education, uh, the HBO uh, film. Uh, incredible performance from Hugh, Hugh Jackman and Allison Janney. And in kind of this, um, it, it's about embezzling school funds. An excellent film on HBO. Yeah, Bad Education was really tremendous. Uh, my number five was Mank. We already talked about this. Uh, David Fincher, black and white film starring Gary Oldman. I enjoyed it a lot. It was Andy's number nine. It's my number five. No surprise there. Andy, what's your four? Palm Springs, which is the uh, comedy on Hulu starring Andy Samberg and uh, Chris, uh, Kristen. Oh, I can't remember. Mil- Milanati off the top Milliati, of Milanati, yeah. Milliati, yeah, Milliati. Yeah. Uh, a lot of fun, short, sweet kind of uh, time travel rom com. Very funny. A lot better than I thought it would be. One of the uh, one of the funniest things I saw all year for sure. I definitely enjoyed Palm Springs. I didn't feel like it added anything to the Groundhog Day formula that you wouldn't get from the original Groundhog Day. I felt like if you were going to watch a movie about a time loop, you'd be more encouraged to watch a Bill Murray film than this one, but I'm a sucker for Harold Ramis. He's a director and I love him. Uh, my number four was Possessor, the Brandon Cronenberg film we watched just a few weeks ago about a, uh, a sa- an organization of assassins that possess the minds of other people to carry out their misdeeds. Uh, I enjoyed this movie a lot, a lot of mind-bending stuff. It's not perfect, um, but it's certainly a good showing for the second film of the son of the body horror fanatic david cronenberg uh, how about you andy what's your number three that we're at three yeah i'm at a uh, ma rainey's black bottom mm. um which we're gonna talk about here here in a second uh but i thought it was an excellent film excellent performances from uh, viola davis and chadwick boseman in his final performance we've done three top 10 of the year lists while we've been doing this show i don't know if you've ever put one on the board in your top three for a movie we have yet to review but we're getting to it in just a minute i swear we're getting through these fast i promise my number three was soul uh this was number seven on andy's list soul of course the disney pixar film uh that recently premiered on disney plus is the story of man we're going through this too fast Uh, a a, a jazz musician (laughs) who's recently deceased and has to cope with this idea of the afterlife it's good stuff i like it a lot more for adults less for kids andy take it away number two for me uh tenet uh christopher nolan's kind of sci-fi time bending uh film it's not perfect it's got some issues um but i i really enjoyed it i think i saw it four times in in the theater i recently bought the uh uh, the Blu-ray and w- watch it at home. Really enjoyed it. And it was one of the few films that actually came out with a big theatrical, attempted to do a big theatrical release and actually has kind of spurred on things like the hybrid releases we're seeing now. Uh, my number two was Emma. Andy's number six was my second favorite film of the year. I did not expect to like this movie as much as I did. I was a little skeptical going in. I like Anya Taylor-Joy and I kind of like the set pieces, but otherwise I didn't really know the story of Emma. This movie was incredibly charming to me. Um, Emma Woodhouse's portrayal by Anya Taylor-Joy as this rich woman who fundamentally is flawed and not really that good of a person through the first two acts of the film are tremendous. Not something I really remember from the Gwyneth Paltrow adaptation in the 90s. Maybe that was there, but I was young and I was stupid and I missed it. (laughs) I really enjoyed this movie. I loved the pastels and this like sickly sweet color of everything. The set design's fantastic. The costuming's great. And even the goofy lovable heartthrob played by Australia surfer singer if i remember correctly was pretty good i liked emma a lot is my second favorite film of the year andy you're number one my top film of 2020 is uh sound of metal uh which was your uh number six um this was my 
I this film really moved me because it's it's about the struggle of someone losing their hearing, but but more importantly than that, it sheds light on kind of the the deaf community and deaf culture, and it's it's fundamentally about someone accepting themselves and accepting what's happening to them, and it, it's inter- it's incredible por- performance by Riz Ahmed. Um, and it's also incredible soundtrack because, or kind of sound design, because you you hear things the way he does, which is not very good a, a lot of times. And you know, it's juxtaposed with him and his girlfriend dealing with uh, addiction or reco- recovering addiction and trying to avoid going back. And it, it's it's an incredible parallel between that the kind of accepting you have a problem as an addict, but then also accepting that you're going deaf. Um, so I thought it was a really incredible film. That was my top. And yours, Zach. <laughs> Real quick, Sound of Metal was my number six. I enjoyed it a lot. Like I said, hit a little too close to home for me, and I think that's why it's lower on my list. My number one was Tenet. Christopher Nolan's film was the most exciting film I saw this year. I was on the hype train. I wanted to know more. <laughs> I went and saw it twice. Andy saw it four times, bought the Blu-ray. I can't believe this is not his number one. Christopher Nolan's masterpiece, how could you? No, I, I, I really was perplexed by what was happening in this movie. I enjoyed the performances all around. The only problem with Tenet is its rush to fill in exposition narratively. It, it, it lacks a certain character gravitas that i think is brought to some of the performances but ultimately isn't fleshed out enough to really make you care for what our characters are doing it's so busy trying to explain what's happening to you that it doesn't give you the opportunity to feel what's happening and that's where i think this movie falls short but in the 2020 there is no movie i think that can be at the top besides tenet my favorite film of the year now andy honorable <laughs> mentions and we got to get to worst of the year before we talk about Ma Rainey's black <laughs> that's Bottom. right uh so my honorable mentions uh some some that were on your list uh possessor uh the brandon cronenberg from also enola holmes which is the uh millie bobby brown film which also starred um henry, henry that's right uh Really, really fun, sweet family film. Uh, she car- She has to kind of carry the whole film herself. Uh, it was supposed to have a theatrical release. Went to Netflix. Uh, re- really nice, sweet film. And then I also wanted to mention, or actually, why don't you mention your honorable mentions and I'll get into stuff that didn't come out this year but that we did watch. Sure. Well, honorable mentions were tough because I didn't want to say anything that Andy said. And believe it or not, he had more than two on his list when we started this episode. He cut it down uh, for the sake of time. But I could have mentioned Disney Plus's Hamilton that did technically come out this year. And it's not even really technically a cinematic film. So it might be worth an honorable mention, but that's not on my list. Uh, I could have mentioned the Acura 4K restoration, but that also didn't come out this year. So that's not on my list. What I do want to mention is Gretel and Hansel, an independent uh, horror film starring Sophie Turner that I liked a lot at the beginning this year that had a lot of promise uh for something more and i want to see what the director does next birds of prey which was not that good but the harley quinn portion of that i think was pretty killer uh margot robbie really cared about the performance and i think everybody in it did as well and underwater the uh kristen stewart sci-fi film that's been pushed back by 20th century fox like three times because it stars tj miller a controversial comedian uh controversial is an understatement uh, was actually not bad. And I think people just brush that off. It's kind of a lame film. I think it's currently on Hulu or HBO Max. One of them has it and it's, it's, it's kind of good. So those are my three honorable mentions. They're not bad movies. Uh, they're just different. And I think they're worth looking at. I, I actually, I think Gretel and Hansel is also on a streaming service this month. 
Um, so ca- does, catch yeah. that if you can. I also wanted to mention some films that we that didn't come out this year, but we we did review them. We did get around to seeing them, partially because we missed them last year, or or we just didn't have a lot of things to watch. Yeah. Uh, one of those is Prospect, which is a small sci-fi film. Uh, came out in 2018. That's on Netflix now, starring uh, Pedro Pascal. Um, really good sci-fi memories of murder, which was, um, director Bong Joon-ho's, uh, 2003 kind of murder mystery masterpiece, uh, of course, director of Parasite, incredible film that we saw in theater and, um, that Zach was really skeptical of <laughs> like, what are you dragging me to? And, yeah. um, it was really, uh, and it's an incredible film from 2003. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I hit, hit me with the other ones. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So queen and slim. Uh, which came out in 2019, uh, excellent film with uh, Daniel Kaluuya and uh, jo- Jody Turner. Um, Bombshell, which I'd completely passed off as it, not something I wanted to watch, uh, and we from 2019 uh, about uh, Fox News R- Roger Ailes and, and the lawsuits that kind of took him down. Uh, ex incredible film, lot, lots of good performances. I'm really glad we got around to watching it. All solid honorable mentions. Uh, on on God, if this if this list had been <laughs> top ten films we saw in 2020 and not top ten films of 2020, Memories of Murder would have been my number one. That movie is so good. Please go see it as soon as you can. It's in the Criterion Collection. I want to say it's streaming on Hulu. Maybe uh, it came out in 2003. You can buy a DVD on Amazon for cheap. Go check out Memories of Murder. That movie's super good. Worst of the year, Andy. Almost exciting as the top ten best of the year. <laughs> Right. So my, uh, well, I'll start. I'm thinking of ending things, which was on your top 10. Uh, How dare you? Definitely on one of my, that was my number nine, le- bro. One of my least favorite films of the year. Just so self-indulgent. I really struggled uh, to get through. I think I had to watch it in two parts. It had confident uh, vision, unabashed confidence. Also had uh, The Binge, which was uh, a play on uh, The Purge, uh, which was like supposed to be like a teen stoner drug high school coming of age comedy that was straight to Hulu. It was not very good. It was definitely like TV film, not very funny. Um, Freaky, which was the uh, the horror movie that came out in November starring Vince Vaughn, it was the body swap comedy. Um, not very good, not very funny, not very horror, not very comedy. Uh, it's not, not real great. And then my worst of the year was Mulan by far. <laughs> You mean the Disney live Disney live action adaptation, of course. Yes, of course. Yes, uh, my my worst of the year in no particular order except the last one, uh, Horse Girl, starring Allison Brie. Uh, I think written and at least partially directed, co-directed by her, definitely written by her. Uh, on Netflix was terrible. I did not like this movie at all. It's I, really bizarre. I, I liked the first act, and then the second and third act was like so off the wall. I was like, I'm not into this. The binge also on Hulu was terrible. Uh, it, it is diet high school stoner boner comedy, and I could not stand it. <laughs> and my worst of the year was was hand over fist Mulan on Disney Plus. My God, that movie was so poorly put together. How did they they lost the whole vision of the original character and what was happening, and they abandoned it for like some cheap effects that look like they're a knockoff kung fu movie from well, 1988. See, that, that's the funny thing is that most of these remakes are like they just do it shot for shot. They don't try to do anything new. And Mulan, they actually try to do some things differently, but they were like all the wrong decisions. So. No, they should they should have taken a page out of like Guy Ritchie's Aladdin. At least there was some a little bit of innovation there that worked. Uh, I think they just swung for it. 
And they miss, right? It's a total whiff on Mulan. Not a fan. So we'll see what they do with, what, The Lion King 2? I think that's their next live action. Pinocchio? That's getting made? Um, my God. But what a year at the movies, Andy. Any any hot takes going coming out of 2020? I mean, we've seen... I mean, I think the big thing is, is, you know, things... There were things that we have now that we did not have even nine months ago, ten months ago, uh, we have... Um, premium video on demand, which is the, the $20 rental. We have hybrid release where we're re- releasing both day and date in theater and at home. Um, we have kind of a shortened distribution window where things are going to be going to, to streaming to rent in as few as three to five weeks, depending on how good a film is doing. So none of these things existed a year ago. And now we have whole new ways of, of watching films uh, for better or for worse because of, of the pandemic. So that's kind of the big story, I think for the year. I think so too. Like it, it was a tough year at the movies. I think we still got some decent films. I'm genuinely excited about next year though, because all of these movies that didn't come out this year, all these movies that were getting worked on this year, next year's the year. Right, Paul Thomas Anderson has a movie coming out. Wes Anderson has a movie coming out. Denis Villeneuve has a movie coming out. Cinematographer Roger Deakins has a movie coming out. There are so many cool movies coming out next year, supposedly. Assuming we don't get any other huge delays, that 2021 might be a red-letter year at cinema. So I'm excited about what we're going to be watching next year, and I can't wait to talk about them all here on Off Script. So yeah, uh, that's 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 our top ten. Uh, we probably should just wrap the show, but we watched another movie and we got to <laughs> talk did. about it. Yeah. Uh, so the next film is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. A one, a two, a you know what to do. This would be an empty world without the blues. I try to take that emptiness and fill it up with something. So, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is the story of a hot 1927 Chicago summer day in a recording studio when Ma Rainey and her Georgia band came all the way up to Chicago to record her signature album. I'm not actually clear if it was her first album or not, but this is a historical retelling of events based on a stage play. And that's worth mentioning because that comes it comes up in the cinematography here. Ma Rainey is played by Viola Davis in a transformative role as a not quite out of touch, maybe too far in touch blues singer who is not putting up with anybody's nonsense. Her Georgia band is played by a host of wonderful black actors, uh, uh, characters like, oh God, I had a list here somewhere. Uh, no, this is not the right movie. I'm looking at Promising Young Woman. How could I do this? <laughs> Toledo, Cutler, and Slow Drag, and Levy played heartbreakingly by Chadwick Boseman in his final performance. This is fundamentally a character drama about the struggles of being a black artist in a time when that was not maybe as widely accepted as it should have been, but ultimately was coming around to be, I think. And that's what's important. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. I was genuinely surprised at at my opinion. And then it made Andy's top three of the year. So you already know his hot takes. Andy, what did you think of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Uh, So I thought this was excellent on a number of levels. I wanted to mention this is based on a play... uh, 
by I can just remember by August Wilson, uh, who also wrote uh, Fences, which we I think I reviewed uh, a couple of years ago, and that, that film starred also Viola Davis and Denzel Washington. That kind of takes place all in like a house, a backyard area, and this also is very play like in that the setting is very small. It's basically just in the recording studio building, um, but it, it's a it's one once again one of these stories that were in, in a very kind of neutral or like friendly setting. But there are, are real issues brought up, um, mostly through storytelling. Like you hear stories of incredible injustice and violence and, you know, things that uh, the black community faces and c- faced back then and continues to, to face now. Um, and we, we get this told through through Ma Rainey and through uh, Levy, which is Chadwick Boseman's character, who's he's um, he's kind of an up and coming musician in his own right. Like he he's kind of he sees himself as the new wave uh, of people he, he's he got um kind of a hot take on the music he's like i don't want to people don't want to hear that that jug band stuff like i'm doing new i'm you know i got more hype and he's like he's like you know the the studio guy is going to work out a deal with me and he's he's kind of he's a little out, out of control because he is he is very talented and so the film like the other musicians are trying to rein him in trying to struggle like him and you gotta you gotta do what we're doing you gotta do what ma's doing um but there's a lot going on here incredible performances a, a lot of really deep, complex themes, and uh, uh, something that's written for the stage, which w- I think works really well on film. So let's get into it. So this movie is an affectionate tribute to blues culture and also black culture at large. That's a huge part of this film. The film opens with a montage of of black citizens of the Southwest uh, going to one of Ma Rainey's shows in a big circus tent, right? Almost like a gospel kind of thing. Everybody's excited. They're listening to what she's doing. And then we get a title card and then an intro to our film proper, right? 1927 Chicago it is blazing hot out and our Georgia band has just arrived at the recording studio uh, to get started Uh, the two white hosts of the studio Irvin and Sturdivant one of them's excited to see him the other one's mad they're late and this continues throughout the whole film because Ma Rainey shows up an hour late to the studio and does not take any shit from anybody ever right she is she is doing her thing she does not care what you think she knows she's making money for these white recording managers and she is on her game she is doing her thing she wants a coke before she gets started she wants her band there on time and otherwise the band is doing their own thing in the recording studio or the uh the rehearsal room i should say where most of their scenes are set believe it or not the band and ma rainey don't actually share that many scenes together for the most part they're in separate rooms but we're getting two very interesting storylines throughout we've got ma rainey's played again brilliantly by viola davis i was, I was stunned by her performance in this movie uh is is not not taking it from anybody man she's she's her own artist and she's her own boss and she speaks from the art she speaks her mind and she's grumpy but it seems like she knows what she's doing the band meanwhile is you know a a lot of late bloomers and maybe one up-and-comer played by chadwick boseman uh who plays levy uh is he trumpeter a horn yeah that's something i'm gonna get into it's uh he's technically playing a cornet but i think the sound is a trumpet so i don't i don't know if like they didn't get the instrument right or if he actually did play like cornet but it's like it's a subtle difference but they're like different instruments. yeah i thought they referred to him as a trumpet in the movie but yeah. i was like they, i think they call him the horn player the horn guy all right excuse yeah. me yeah 
they're doing their own thing in the rehearsal room. They're talking about Levy's up and coming prospects and how the rest of the band, who's a bunch of older guys are explaining like, no, you're going to do what Ma says. This is her band. You don't dance to the beat of your own drum. You do your own thing. And that, that rework of that song she likes, we're not going to play that because we don't care about your rework. We care about hers. That's what we're doing. And he's frustrated that he can't get a leg in, in an industry where ultimately he's had to fight his whole life. Um, it's certainly an interesting dichotomy seeing these two powerhouses essentially dispute through other characters uh, about their own challenges and their own promises and, and what they're looking to accomplish in the world. Um, but it's really powerful to see the two of them have their own struggles independently of each other. Um, what do you think, Andy? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much going on. And there's this, a lot going on, film. yeah. Um, in, in the end, I, I think this, this movie is... Um, or one of the big things is it's about power and when you ha- who has it and who doesn't and also more subtly when you have it and when you don't because uh, you know Ma Rainey says these white men don't care about me they don't care about you we're making money for them right now so right now you know th- they're being nice but as soon as we sign those papers as soon as we finish this recording like they're not going to count count about us so what she's kind of doing is taking advantage of the time that she has at this moment of this recording she is the person in powder they need her voice on this record to sell so she's going to show up like you said when she wants she's going to get her three cokes she's going to you know she's her uh she has a nephew that that stutters that she's wants to do the intro to the record and he's like i don't care how many takes it's going to take he's going to do it he's going to be on the record because i'm not doing it if he's not on it and and she gets what she wants because she has all the power right now. And, and she she talks about this, like, you got to use the power when you have it. And I'm going to behave this way and I'm going to be difficult. And, the, and I'm going to see these white men grovel at my feet because this is the only time it's going to happen. As soon as I go across town, if I try to go to a white hotel you know everyone's going to forget who who I am um and and we see this also reflected in in, in Levy as well as the up and comer as he's he sees he knows he's talented he's and he knows the, these guys are kind of interested in his music and he's like, I'm going to start my own band and ha- write my own songs and I'll be traveling on, on the road and just just you see and it, it's a really interesting look at at power dynamics yeah um and I think that's one of the things that works really well in this movie and it's it's again upheld by the performances, right? Like Viola Davis is tremendous in this movie. She's covered in, in just covered in makeup and like sweat all the time. She's constantly covered in this like sheen of sweat. And she's got this like scowl on her face. Like she just has no patience for anybody, but that demeanor, this like harsh exterior, this gold grill she's got on her top row of teeth. All of that is played perfectly by the end of the film when she basically just explains in full to the characters around her, look, like, there's a reason I'm doing this. There's a reason I present this way. Like, I'm not I'm not just this person who's angry and bitter. I'm frustrated at the way the world works and what I've had to do to get here and how I'm being perceived as this... I don't know, a a workhorse that's supposed to be run into the studio. You do your bit and then you get out and get out of line for the next person. She understands that like, ultimately she is the product. She is the thing that's going to be sold. And if she's going to be sold, she's going to do it her way. She's going to, her music is going to be sold her way. Like this is the way she wants the world to spin. And that's ultimately what's important. It's why she's the titular character. But 
we get just as much screen time, if not more, devoted to Chadwick Boseman as Levy, which is something when the trailer first came out, I remember saying on this show, didn't seem like was going to happen. It seemed a little bit like Netflix was marketing this as like, well, he Chadwick like Boseman's in it, his final performance. But like, no, he gets arguably more screen time than she does. I, he's he's arguably a more dynamic character. He has a larger range of arc here because he is an up-and-coming horn player who's writing his own songs and he, he's going to have his own band and he, he buys his great pair of shoes at the beginning. He's so determined to become more than what the world has set out for him. He's Ma Rainey before she became Ma Rainey. And she, and he has to try to find his place alongside an artist who simply has no time for it and does not care about what he wants. Um, really interesting. He, he gets a couple of great monologues in this movie that are, are heartbreakingly good because he has so much promise and Bozeman refuses to soft pedal the approach here. He is pedal to the metal, all gas, no brakes, every scene. And he steals the show. In my opinion, I could not stop looking at the guy every time he's on screen. He's, he's exactly what I'm staring at. Yeah. It's really great to see a really kind of phenomenal final performance. Cause like, uh, when we talk about tragic fi- figures like Heath Ledger, you know, obviously everyone remembers the Joker, but he made one film after the dark Knight, which was, uh, the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which is a kind of terrible film. And he's only in it half about half of it because he died in the middle of filming it. And it's a really kind of a sad, like last role. Uh, and most people don't even know that movie exists, but it's, you know, it's unfortunate that that's kind of his last moments on on film. And this, it's 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 really great that we see kind of a really incredible standout performance. I mean, even without being the the Black Panther uh, T'Challa, this would be an incredible per- standout performance. So it, it's really nice and inspirational to to see him kind of at his best before you know he passed away. Yeah, like it's it's. It's yeah, uh, same boat. Cause I, 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 I was a big Heath Ledger fan and I went and saw Imaginarium like when it came out and I was like, Oh, okay. That was not exactly like a hit. It was Terry Gilliam film. It was weird. This one though, like dude, Chadwick Boseman kills it. He's so good. And it's, it's really, um, really, I, I mean, a performance worth commending. I, I, I hope it comes up in whatever Academy Awards look like this year. I hope he at least gets some kind of nomination. Um, he's, he's a tremendous supporting actor in this movie. He's very good. Um, I want to talk about the set. This movie is based on a play direct. Uh, it's written by August Wilson, who's actually the writer of Fences, um, that movie that came out a few years ago that was also a stage play. That was starring and produced by Denzel yeah. Washington. And what's interesting about this movie, along alongside being written by August Wilson, same writer of Fences, also produced by Denzel Washington. This is actually, believe it or not, originally part of a 10-film deal for play adaptations from Denzel Washington for HBO. And that kind of fell through, I think, uh, before Fences, but he still had some of the deals in place to get these productions made. So Fences was the first kind of play adaptation Denzel Washington produced. This is the second. And I'm not going to say it's as good as Fences because I haven't seen Fences, but it's really tremendous. And it's got a lot to say about black culture and black struggles in a time when America didn't have time for that. That's that's definitely part of what's alluded to towards the end of this film. Um, and it's tremendous. And the film is presented as such, at least in our opening, uh, a lot of our scenes are, are long takes, right? It's our actors just doing their thing. 
It's mostly set in like two or three rooms, just like a play would be. But the set design's tremendous. This this recording studio they had is like fascinating. It's got the paint peeling off the walls. It's got old doorknobs and handles. It's a storied institution where hundreds of artists have come through in the past. And frankly, it's cheap to make. This was all a soundstage they shot this on, but it's convincing and it looks genuine and it really brings you into the film and gives the characters a lot more room to grow and a lot less room to just hide in the scenery. It's it's effective filmmaking based on what came, you know, based on this, the source material. I really respect it. I I would say, uh, I wanted to add that, that uh, yeah, it's a tremendous film. I, I think I enjoy this more than Fences. Uh, Fences is, I mean, it's a similar thing. It, it's, uh, you know, it's a black family in Chicago and they're, the father's building a, a fence in the backyard. And like, while he's doing this, he kind of tells stories of the past and growing up and uh, gets into r- some r- really tough uh, material. Um, but that movie isn't quite as cinematic as this. This is, this does better. I think it's a better adaptation and be feeling more cin- cinematic. Um, I think that one's also really long. This is, it's a short watch. It's, I think it's only 135 minutes uh, as well. Um, but yeah, it's an incredible a- adaptation. Some really deep th- things, great performances, like really stellar all around. Yeah. Uh, I did want to make a couple of independent mentions. One about the music. Uh, it's really good. And there's not a lot of it until probably about the second act. You'd think being a movie about musicians, you'd actually get a bunch and you don't, you get a lot of sound cues, you get a lot of stings, but they don't actually start playing like a full track until later. And it really pops because you have all of this setup, right? You've you've got a horn toot, you got a piano. uh, I I don't know music. Andy knows this much better than I do. And I'm probably making a fool of myself, but you get lots of little bits of music. You get just a little bit of rehearsal, just a few seconds here, a few seconds there. And it all builds to this like wonderful, wonderful end of the second act when like you get actually a performance a full-fledged like three and a half minute performance out of our characters it's really good stuff and i don't know they must have dubbed viola davis because her lips don't quite match the words it could be her singing the parts for all i know or it could actually be an old recording but either way i really enjoyed it i liked the way the world is set outside of the chicago studio because you do get a couple street shots and you get this like sunbathed Chicago skyline in the back from 1927. And you know, it's not real, but it's so stylized. I didn't matter. It didn't matter. Like it didn't pull me out of the world of the film. If anything, I looked at it and thought, wow, that actually looks really good for green screen. Um, it's got these really great, wonderful beams of light coming through these dusty windows in the studio. Like it, it really looks genuine. And I, I, I liked, I just liked the look of it. And, and lastly, this movie does take a couple of turns what am I trying to say in the narrative? Because there's a couple points where you have a very serious moment. Um, you know, Chadwick Boseman delivers this, this heartbreaking monologue in the middle of the film. And, and he, it's this whole thing to these other characters. And you're thinking, well, where's this, where's the scene going to go after this? And then it just cuts to them all performing. You never really get catharsis for these moments. And I don't know if in the play, that was the end of an act. Maybe I don't know if, I don't know where that would go in a stage play. Cause typically when somebody delivers a five minute monologue, there's a response to that. It doesn't just cut to like 20 minutes later when they're playing music, you know, um, you can't do that in a play. Your characters have to go somewhere and do something. So the movie takes a couple of independent directions in that way, but in a way that makes it feel almost dreamlike. It makes it feel mystical and, and powerful in a way that I think these, these characters deserve certainly of their music. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about, and I I did feel that it it does 
by the end, it does kind of make sense because I think another kind of theme of this movie is just kind of repressed uh, anger because Levy is he he's really sensitive like because the other guys will kind of rag on him a little bit and he'll start to get incredibly defensive and get like you know start to get like up in people's faces and be like oh, I'm you know don't mess with me kind of things like so he's kind of like he's a boiling pot like he's just on the verge of constantly boiling over um, and we we kind of see that as a theme as well. Yeah. And one more thing I wanted to mention. Uh, I wanted to mention the performance of Coleman Domingo, who is uh, Ma Rainey's kind of band showrunner, uh, Cutler. He's 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 their cellist. No, no, no. He's got Bass. a horn. Oh, uh, yeah. tr- the trombone player. Yeah, he's great. And I'd never seen him in anything. He's well, actually, I have. You probably have. Uh, I was going to say he's mostly worked on Fear the Walking Dead, the Walking Dead spinoff television show. More recently, he was in Birth of a Nation. He was the principal in Assassination Nation, a movie I really liked last year. Uh, and he's been in a couple other things since. He was in Lucy in the Sky. I think it's just like kind of a random NASA guy. He's super good. That dude's super good. Like, he needs more work in Hollywood. <laughs> like, he's he's really good in this movie. Very, very mature, very responsible. Speaks for the band. He, he's really good stuff in this movie. All the performances were tremendous. So, Andy, any other thoughts or recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you hold on? This is under top three. I know what you're going to say. <laughs> Andy, would you recommend Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? Uh, absolutely. I think this is definitely one of the best films of the year. Some of the best performances of the year by Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman. Um, everyone should watch this. It's a quick watch, only an hour and a half. It's on Netflix. Um, I'd lo- love to see, uh, you know, when award season comes out, I, I think it'll probably get some nominations. Uh, it's deep. It's about a lot of things, a lot of struggles with the, the back, black community, but also things that uh, that other people um could, can relate to like i said there's these themes of power and using it and not losing and hanging on to it using it when you have it so highly recommend yeah i really enjoy, sorry i wasn't sure if i should just jump in or if you were taking a breath no i really enjoyed it as well um i think this movie's super good it didn't make my top 10 this year i think part of that is because i just need more time to simmer on it Andy obviously didn't i mean he threw it on the list but this is good stuff it's on netflix it will probably be on netflix's top 10 for a while it may be the first thing you see when you open the page and i would encourage you to check it out it's just over 90 minutes it's good stuff it's really good and again if anything if there's any reason to watch this movie it is chadwick boseman's final performance and it is a tour de force in my opinion there are many more reasons to watch Watch it, of course, and I'd encourage you to do it. And I, I'd encourage you to subscribe to the show, actually, as well, while I'm at it. Uh, subscribe to Offscript Film Review, because we're at the end of the show, and, and that's something you should do. And before I, you know, tell you to rate and review as well, we got to talk about what we're watching next week. Andy, what's on the docket? So uh, one film that's still in theaters is Tom Hanks' News of the World, kind of a western, uh, got to return a girl to her family, drama thing heard good things we're, we're, get, we're gonna be checking that out and then also at long last we've been waiting to do this for a while man of steel uh the beginning of the dceu from 2013 now finally streaming on hbo max um wasn't initially and we we did want to review it uh back in in the summer so it's finally we're gonna be looking at it zach has not seen it no uh, so I'm really interested to get a fresh, uh, fresh take, especially looking back at <laughs> everything the DCEU has become. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it too. Um, I have always heard it's arguably the best of Zack Snyder's like DC films. Um, we'll see. I I remember when it came out. I was in college, and uh, I was in film school, and a lot of people went and saw it, and they were like. 
you might be into it, you might not. And I kind of didn't end up going to see it because of that. But now I've got a reason. I got to sit down. I got to watch Man of Steel. I love, I love Henry Cavill. It'll be great. I'm definitely a little skeptical about news of the world as well. But I love me some Tom Hanks. How could you go wrong, you ask? And and I don't have a good answer, but next week we will after we watch it. So if you want to hear our review for News of the World and Man of Steel, subscribe to Offscript Film Review to get new episodes every single week straight to your phone or your favorite, I don't know, listening device for podcast, iPad, tablet. You can find us on Facebook where we live stream the show every single Tuesday with trailers and articles and things you can see along with our faces. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and we archive everything on YouTube and of course where all of your usual podcasts are found. So please subscribe if you can, rate and review. You have no idea how much it helps not only our show, but every single podcast you subscribe and rate and review to. It's good podcast etiquette. You should do it. I think, in my in my in my humble opinion. So, you know, thanks for listening to Offscript Film Review. And thanks for listening to our top ten what a year at the movies. I'm so excited about 2021. From all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening. <laughs>